This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you today. I want you to do a few things for me. Uh, First off, if we haven't met, my name is Kevin, and I am on staff here at the church, and I get to share with you for a few minutes Uh, out of God's Word as we explore the things that He would reveal to us and show us today. Uh, A few things you're going to want to have with you. You're going to want to have the Connect card that says Start Here, and at some point this morning you're going to want to fill that out, and you're also going to want to have some teaching notes. So grab your Connect card, grab the teaching notes, and then I want you to think with me for a minute about a time in your life when you did something or said something to someone, and the way that they responded to you was over-the-top extreme. So you might have done something wrong. You might have said something wrong, but the way they responded was just over-the-top extreme to you. Just You couldn't believe that they came back so high, so big, to the little thing that you said, the little thing that you did. I was at Costco on Friday getting gas, and uh, the higher gas prices get, the longer the lines get at Costco. That's kind of the way it goes. Prices go up, lines get long. And there was a gal who pulled in, and she was probably in her mid-60s, and she was trying to, she was right at the entrance trying to scout out the best line. You know how you do that? You scout out the best line to see where you want to go. And so I just pulled around her and got into my spot. Well, she pulled over, and she was waiting. She was scouting things out as lines were continuing to form. And then all of a sudden, a spot opened up, and she, she just slid right in past about two other cars, which is a no-no in the Costco line. And everyone knows that that's a no-no in the Costco line. But the two cars behind her went nuts. Got out of their car. There's a guy screaming at her. He's he's dropping the F-bomb. He's calling her a redneck. He's just yelling and screaming at her. The woman in front of him, she gets out of her car and walks up to the lady and is just choosing her off. Now, I had driven away at this time. Uh, and so I couldn't inter- intercede, although I did, I looped back around to kind of see how long this was going to go, because this, this was extreme, over the top. Okay, she made a mistake. Don't cut in line, okay? That, if, if you get nothing else out of today, don't cut in line at Costco. Okay? Scary. Scary stuff happens. But she, they were over the top extreme. I remember when I was 11 years old, uh, my brother and I and our friend were at our friend's dad's garage, and he had a pulley. And we saw that pulley, and we thought what everyone thinks when they see a pulley. We thought zipline. That would make an excellent zipline. And so we took the pulley out of his garage, and we went over to our house where we had a tree about 15 or 20 feet high. We tied a rope to the top of that tree, and then all the way across our front yard, we tied a rope to the other end of the rope to the base of another tree with the, the pulley system on it. And, uh, and it was great. We created this fantastic zip line. We would put one of us in a, a cardboard box at the bottom of the zip line who couldn't see anything, and then we would just ram into them. Uh, that was really, that was fun. But then we got tired of that after about a half hour. And right about the time we got tired of that, uh, my neighbor came over with her two-year-old son. And we thought to ourselves, we have some, we have some, we have some good ideas here. We can introduce him to Extreme Adventure at two. <laughs> so we took a paint bucket and we tied it to the rope attached to the pulley up at the top. And we got a ladder out and we handed this two-year-old up the ladder and we put him in the paint bucket. And just as we let him go to be the youngest member of our ziplining squad, his mother came out the door 
over the top. Okay, I know we did something wrong, but she was not happy. She was not happy. And I could not, in my 11-year-old mind, I could not figure out for the life of me why she was so over-the-top extreme. Well, I have a two-year-old son now, and if you pick him up too fast, I go over the top. So I I get it. See, as an 11-year-old, I could not see the implications long-term of my actions. I thought you put him in the zipline, he ziplines down, everyone's happy. She saw her son falling out of a bucket, falling 15 feet, breaking his whatever body part, take your pick, and really hurting himself. So she got, she got upset. She got angry. She, she, uh, she, was, she was kind about it, but she was extreme about it. Uh, I have a few minutes, so I'll just share one more quick story. This is just as sad. This poor kid, we messed him up. We really did. This, uh, this has nothing to do with a sermon, but I'm going to tell you anyway. My brother and I were a few years older. We were talking about French kissing. And we were teaching each other, you know, talking, not teaching, whoa. (laughs) Talking about, talking about the mechanics, the mechanics of that. As my my neighbor, who was about four at the time, was listening in, and that night his mother went to give him a kiss. (laughs) Over the top. (laughs) See, as as an 11-year-old child, a 13-year-old child, I did not see the implications long-term of my actions, and so when my neighbor responded in an extreme way, I could not figure it out. We are in a series right now that we're calling Counterculture, and it's all about this sermon that Jesus gave, this teaching that Jesus gave, about what he calls the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. And he says there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world, like the kingdom that we live in. Not a bad place. Not great. There are some things that we would change, but it's not horrible. There's that kingdom that we live in, that we see. We go to work in it. We, we come to church, and, and we have friendships all in this kingdom of the world. And then there's this kingdom of God, which is largely unseen. Ron taught us in the first week that the kingdom of God, it's personal. It starts within us. As we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he begins to transform us from the inside. It's personal, and it's portable. As we experience this kingdom within, and we go and we rub shoulders with other people at work, at school, uh, in our friendships— all of a sudden the kingdom kind of rubs off on them. So it's a personal kingdom and it's a portable kingdom. And usually it's counter to the kingdom of the world. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, you're just checking this out. I want to tell you, thank you for coming. And I'll say this, if you've been listening to the teachings this far, you've probably thought, like the rest of us has, Jesus is a pretty wise guy. He's smart. He's a good teacher. He has good things to say. We're going to wrap up counterculture today by talking about relationships because Jesus goes into this next part of his sermon and it's all about relationships. And up to this point, he's just said some really good, wise, interesting stuff. But when we get to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes extreme. He goes above and beyond. So he's going to say some things that happen and then he's just going to throw up this extreme statement on top of it. And the things he says are so extreme that if you've read it, chances are you have skipped over it, skimmed past it, discounted it without even giving it a second thought. Because if we, if we really took what Jesus says at face value, we would be disturbed at the least. It, it would shock us. It would, it would create a check in, inside of us that says, whoa, wait a minute, that, that is too extreme for what you're talking about. 
And so what I want to do this morning is I want to ask you, I want to beg you as much as you can, do not discount what Jesus says. So he's going to say all these things. Try not to discount it. Instead, ask the question, why? Why would he go so extreme when it comes to relationships? Why is he so extreme on this topic? Why does he seem pretty happy up to this point in the sermon? And then at this point, he gets really radical, really extreme. Is it just that he woke up on the wrong side of the bed? Is that why Jesus is, is so angry? Or is Jesus, is he just a big feeler? You know, is he so intense on relationships because he's just, uh, he's a feeling-oriented guy and he wants us all to be sitting around on the sofa holding hands, crying over the last Hallmark movie. Why? Why is Jesus so extreme? Why is he so insistent that we have good relationships? That's the question we're going to explore this morning, and that's the question I want you to ask. Because just just look at this, and and remember, ask the question, why? Why? Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder— Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court, which means they'll be guilty before the court. But I say to you, and Ron told us this last week, anytime you see the ancients were told this, but I say to you this, what he's saying is the law, the tradition, the history has said this, but there's a fuller understanding of it. And I'm going to give you the fuller understanding. I'm going to give you God's heart behind it. So you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable, shall be guilty to the court. But I say to you, everyone, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Go ahead and circle that, because we're going to talk about hell a little bit. He's going to talk about hell a lot. Circle hell. Whoever says, you're a fool, you fool, is guilty enough for the fiery hell. That, that word hell in the original language was actually a place. It's a place called Gehenna. And Gehenna was this valley to the southwestern slope of Jerusalem, where Jesus uh, did a lot of teaching, where the Jewish religion was kind of located. It was based in Jerusalem. And to the southwest of it was this valley called Gehenna. And in the ancient Jewish world, when the kings were reigning over Jerusalem, there was this king that got sideways. He stopped worshiping the God of the Bible. He started worshiping all these other gods, including a a god or an idol that, that they called Molech. Now, Molech was the god of the underworld. And the way that you worshiped Molech was there was this big statue of Molech in this valley. And Molech had his hands out like this, And the way that this king chose to worship was that he heated up this statue of Molech until it was fiery hot, and then he placed his baby in the hands of the god and let his baby burn up and melt into the hands of this god. It's a horribly tragic time in Jewish history where the kings went bad, they left God, they started worshiping these idols, and they actually had child sacrifices going on. And so what happened was this valley, Gehenna, became known as a visible picture of what hell will be like. I said, do you want to know what hell is going to be like? Hell is going to be such a painful place that it's like heating up that idol and putting your infant into the idol's hands and watching it burn up. That's what hell is going to be like. He says, if you call someone a fool, you're guilty enough to go to that place. Really, Jesus? Hell? For calling someone a fool? Why? Why? Why is he so, 
serious about this. He goes on to say in verse 23, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there. Before you go to the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering to the Lord. And again, we're talking about Jerusalem, where this temple was. It was the center of Jewish worship, and the people would travel from all over the ancient world to come to Jerusalem to give their offerings to God. Sometimes they'd travel two, three, four, five, six days just to get to Jerusalem to present their offerings before God. And Jesus says this. He says, listen, if you travel four, five, six days, you take time off work, you leave your fields, you leave everything behind, you get all the way to Jerusalem, and you're ready to give your offering to God. It was like the ultimate church service. It's like Easter on steroids. It's like Christmas Eve 10 10. Like this is a big day. You've traveled all the way to Jerusalem to give your offering to the Lord. And when you get there, you realize, oh yeah, my brother back in my hometown, another Christian, he has something against me. He's angry. I remember something in the back of my head says, he's angry with me. Jesus says, don't you dare go worship. Instead, travel three, four, five, six days back to your hometown be reconciled to that person, and then come back three, four, five, six days and give your offering. Some of you guys out there are thinking, man, I got to remember that because the next time a big game comes on, I'm just going to pick a fight with my wife and say, I can't go to church today. I'm just, I'm honoring God. Jesus says, don't go to church if we're in a fight. So like, you know, I'm just going to, hey baby, I'm sorry, I can't go to church today. We're in a fight. We'll reconcile after church. I'm going to stay and watch the game. That's not what he's saying. Okay, I, I got gotcha. you. Okay, I know how you think. I'm one of you, okay? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it is so important that you don't have a fight with someone. You, don't, you, you, aren't, you aren't at odds with someone. It's so important. Don't even come into the church service until you've fixed it. Really? Our, our Savior, our Lord is saying, don't come worship me until you've fixed that fight you had with your wife, with your kids, with your extended family, with your coworkers? Why? Why is he so extreme when it comes to relationships? Verse 27 goes on to say this. You've heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. Probably a good idea. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on to say, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into, and there's that word again, hell. Verse 30, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Really? Really? Tear out your eye? I, I mean, Guys and and women, let's be honest, okay? We know that if we look at someone other than our spouse or we imagine about them, we daydream about them, we know that's not good for our marriage. We we know that, but but really tear out your eye? Throw it away? Why is he so extreme? We we know it's not we know it's not ideal, but but man, that seems seems intense. He goes on. And it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for reasons of unchastity or unfaithfulness, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, we have to understand that in the ancient world, women were property. 
They were property. And guys could just decide, I'm done with you. Write her certificate of divorce. Send her out. She had no rights. She had no standing. She had no way to take care of herself, take care of her family. And Jesus says, that is wrong. I believe in equality. I believe in women's rights. You cannot just throw your wife out. Marriage is not an extension of dating. Marriage is for life. That's the way God intended it. We all say, absolutely. That, that's the ideal. That's good. But Jesus goes further. He goes so far as to say, man, if you divorce her and get remarried, it's the same as adultery. Again, here's something that probably isn't a great idea in terms of relationships, but his response is so extreme. Why? Why would he say that? Reading these things should get us asking some really serious questions. Like I said, if we've read this part of Matthew, most of us just discount it because it's so extreme. We just, we throw it out. We say, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus has woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's having a bad day. Okay, I, whatever. I'm just not going to take that part. I'm going to tear that page of my Bible out, crumple it up, throw it away, pretend it's not there. But it is there. Why is he so insistent that our relationships are good? are true, are real, are restored. Why? Well, about 50 years after Jesus preached this sermon, most of his original 12 followers had died at that point. But there was one guy that was still alive, a guy named John. And people started coming to John and saying, John, you have to write down the things that you know about God because you're going to die soon. John was old at this point says, you're going to die soon. And, and when you die, you're the last of these 12 guys who were like with Jesus. And John was one of the guys who was really close with Jesus. And when you die, if you haven't written this down, we're all going to be lost. And so John began to write down the things he knew. He wrote the Gospel of John, one of the biographies of Jesus. And he wrote these books, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then the book of Revelation. He wrote down all these books so that we would understand what it means to, to, to follow Jesus, so we could understand why Jesus says the things he says. And in 1 John, uh, chapter 4. John says something that gives us a, a clue into why relationships are so important, why Jesus is so extreme. Remember, uh, Jesus has some perspective that we do not have. Like me as an 11-year-old kid, I couldn't figure out why that mom got so mad about the zipline thing. I didn't have the perspective that a parent has because I was not a parent. Jesus has some perspective about relationships that we don't have, and John says it this way. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, he says, if someone says, I love God, I love God. So there, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love God. And he hates his brother. He is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot. I want you to underline. I want you to circle. I want you to put a star around whatever you got to do to the word cannot. Whoever does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. That word cannot in the original language is this word dunamai. And it means power. It means strength. It's where we get the word dynamite, the power to blow stuff up. He says, if you do not love other people, you will want to love God. You will have your devotion time. You will come to church. You will join a small group. You will serve. You will want to love God but you will not have the power to love God if you're not loving other people. Let that sink in for a second. 
Because there might be some of us here today, and I said this last week, who we really want to love God. We want to have, you want to have that relationship with God that you hear me preach about or that you read in the Bible where it's this, this personal, passionate relationship where God's guiding you and leading you and you're living the life you were created to live. You might really want that. And yet it feels like it's just out of your reach. You're coming to church. You're praying. You're reading your Bible. You're, you're serving. You're doing all the right things. And yet that life that you, that you know is out there is just out of reach and you can't take hold of it and you can't grab it and you can't figure out why. According to John, it could be, I'm not saying it is, but it could be that you have a relationship where you do not love someone and because you do not love someone, you cannot love God. Not that you don't want to, it's that you don't have the, the power to. See, Jesus is so strong about having healthy relationships because if we do not love people around us, we, we can't love God. Again, it's not that we won't want to love God. We will want to love Him. We will want to worship Him. We will want to serve Him, but we won't have the power to love Him. There's something between our relationships here and our relationship here with God that's connected. And if you've ever been in a fight with your husband or wife on the way to church, you know that's true. Because if you're like me, listen, one of the greatest things about being your pastor for the last five years is Maria and I drive to church separate now. So we, we can't fight anymore. It's, we, but, but before I was your pastor, I drove to church at New Life with Maria. And I remember one time we got, one time we got in a good fight on the car ride over here. I'm sure it was my fault. I'll just go ahead and say that. So we're driving here. We get in a fight. And maybe you can resonate with this. She's running later. He's running later. The kids aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Or someone didn't do what they were supposed to do. And and you, you get in a fight on the way to church, and so you walk in the main doors, and you immediately go get coffee, and they immediately go to the other side of the lobby to get as far away from you as they can, and you all try to smile and say, yeah, I'm good. It's fine. We're happy. And then you walk into church about halfway through the first song, and, and she's sitting there, and so you kind of come, and, and you're in the chair next to each other, but you're as far away as you can be. And you, you want to sing, but you don't because you're steaming mad because they're such an idiot. Song two comes around and you still don't sing because you're still angry. Song three comes around and, and you're not singing because now you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I'm partially to blame. Communion happens and then you realize, oh, shoot, I'm, it's my fault. Yep, it's my fault. Mostly the guys, sometimes you girls too. And then I get up to preach and you pull out your teaching notes and you write, I'm sorry for being an idiot and you slide it over to her. Don't play if you haven't done that. I go through the recycling. I've seen your notes. Okay. I, I, I know you write that. Listen, you came to church because you wanted to encounter God, but you couldn't encounter God because you were in a fight with your spouse. That's what John is saying. If our relationships with each other are not working, we cannot love God. We don't have the, the power to love God, which, which I think raises the question that we need to ask, that God would want us to ask. And, and the question I'm going to ask in just a second, if you're not a Christian, if you're here and you're just checking this out, this is a helpful question for you to ask. It will make your marriage better. 
It will make your work relationships better. It will make your relationship with your kids better. It's a helpful question to ask. If you are a Jesus follower, this is not a helpful question. This is a command. If you're a Jesus follower, you have to ask this question if you want to experience God. Here's the question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? And you're, you're a smart church. Listen, we're, we're like, we're some smart people in here. So I'm not going to give you three tips or two tools, four suggestions. I'm just going to give you one question, and then I want you to translate it into some relationships. And the question is, what does love require of me? And I'm going to list off some relationships in a few minutes. And I just want you to, to kind of be checking yourself. Is there a relationship in that sphere that I need to ask that question? Because I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that at least one or two of us in here feel disconnected from God and we're trying and we can't figure out what it is. And it could be that we, we have a relationship gap and that gap is keeping us from God. And we need to start asking, what does love require in some key relationships? Like in my marriage, what does love require of me? And notice I didn't say, what does love require of them? What does love require of me in my marriage. Jesus gave us some tips to get us started, like don't think, don't look, don't fantasize outside of my marriage. Love requires that I think, look, fantasize in my marriage. In fact, God promotes it. We'll have a sex series coming up next year, probably. Just don't do it outside of my marriage. Jesus says things like, listen, when the going gets tough in marriage, and it does, it will, that's just the way that marriage is, love requires that I don't cut and run, that I don't just throw a divorce out there. And I'm not saying that there aren't times when that is uh, a very real reality. I don't mean to make light of it. But man, in our culture, divorce has become kind of just uh, the next step when things get a little bit tough. You know, we go dating, and and marriage is an extenuation of dating, and then divorce is just what you do when you want to break up at the end. What does love require? Love requires that we stick it out. Love requires that we do good for our spouse, even if they're not doing good to us. Or maybe there's some work relationships that that are strained right now. And maybe you think, well, listen, that's work. That's my work life. And I've got church and my church life is here and work is there and church is here and they're disconnected. Listen, they're not as disconnected as you think. They're actually pretty connected. Next week, we're starting a brand new series that we're going to call Take This Job and, and, and Love It. Take This Job and Love It. That's what we're going to call this series. Take This Job and Love It. Because God created us to work. And the way we interact with work and our coworkers actually has some huge implications on our spiritual lives, on our relationships with God. Could it be that there is a relationship at work that is broken, and because you have not fixed that relationship, we cannot love God? Jesus gives us some tips. Listen, don't call your boss a fool. Okay? Don't say he's good for nothing behind his back. Don't gossip about people. What does love require of you? I want to talk to some college people or some single people who have housemates. But college people, you have this dynamic more than anybody else because you get to college 
and the first semester, you love your roommates. I did college ministry for six years. Up until about Thanksgiving, you love your roommates. And then you start to hate your roommates because they go to bed too late or they go to bed too earlier. Man, they like to study on the weekends when you like to do other things on the weekends. And, and you begin to hate them to the point where when you sit in your bedroom, you hear the door open and shut and you just you want to hide, you want to cringe, you want to get out because the relationship is broken. If you have housemates, what does love require of you at your house today? If your kids are going through a, you want to strangle them time, a difficult time, they're being challenging, they're just being pains in the butt, okay? Maybe you need to ask that question, what does love require of me towards my son today who's difficult, who doesn't show me any respect, towards my daughter who all of a sudden thinks she's a woman because she turned 12. What does love require of me? And I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to think through the answer. What does love require of me when someone hurts me? Legitimately, when they, when they, when they really hurt me badly, what does love require of me? What is my response to them? What does love require of me when I hurt someone? See, this question changes everything. It changes the way that we think. It changes the things that we say. It changes the things that we do. And this question is key to us actually experiencing the life with God that he created us for. We have to ask this question. Asking this question will change your life because asking this question will give you the power, the ability, the dunamai, the dynamite to love God. Loving people is the explosive catalyst to experiencing God in the way you were created to. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I just feel disconnected from God and I'm doing all the things that I know I should be doing, it could be that there's a relationship break somewhere. And that's why Jesus is so extreme about this. See, Jesus has perspective that we don't have. Jesus knows that on a deep spiritual level that we can't even fully grasp, we just have to take his word for it. On a deep level, if we do not love each other, we cannot love God. And if we want to love God, and I know you do, we have to love each other. And if you begin to do that, will your relationships get better? Yes. Yes, they will. Over time, your relationships will get better if you ask what does love require of me in every single relationship? And if you ask that question, will your life improve? Yes, your life will improve. Because if your relationships are better, your life is better. But more than that, if you ask that question and then do what that question requires, somehow it just opens the door for you to take hold of the life you were created to live. It opens the door for you to really engage with God in the way that you were supposed to create, engage with him, the way that you're supposed to be with him. So the, the next step is simple. And on your Connect cards, we have applying today's message. The next step is simple. I want you to pull out that Connect card and flip it over to the back. While I've been talking, some of you may have had someone come to mind. A husband, a wife, your kids, your neighbors, a coworker where there's a relationship break. I don't need to know who that person is. I don't need to know what they did or what you did. What I want to challenge you to do 
is for the next week, ask that question about that person. Every time you see him, every time you think about them, ask the question, what does love require of me in that relationship? What does love require of me with, and you fill in their name. And then whatever God brings to mind, just do it. Just do it. And if you're going to do that, I want you to mark that on your Connect card because I'm going to be praying for you. By name, I want to pray for you because this is a big deal. Because listen, as much as God wants you to connect with him, there's a very real enemy out there who wants you to be disconnected from God, who wants you to go through the motions, who wants you to come to church and read your Bible and pray and join a small group and never actually connect with God. And all he wants to do is keep that relationship broken. And all God wants to do is bring that relationship back together so that God's power can begin to flow into your life, so you can begin to experience the life you were created to live. So mark that on your card so I can pray for you that God would move, that God would lead. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, and I mean a a personal relationship, not, again, just coming to church, going through the motions, but but a real relationship where you would say, God, uh, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be who you want me to be. God, when you say go, I'm going to go. When you say stay, I'm going to stay. A relationship where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you said to God, God, I am sorry for the ways that I have sinned, that I've broken my relationship with you. And I need your forgiveness. And I need your healing power in my life. The Bible says God is quick to respond to that prayer, that he will forgive you because he loves you. He loves us more than we could ever imagine. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And if you've never made that decision, today could be your day. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And and you can repeat a prayer after me that's basically, there's nothing magic about it. It's just a prayer of confession, of confessing that you want to have a relationship with God. And if if you pray that prayer, I want you to mark that on your card so I can be praying for you, so we can be connecting with you. And if you're here today and at one point you had a relationship with God, but at some time over your life, you've just walked away from him. And that's a lot of our story. We walked away from him. And now we want to come back. I would encourage you to recommit yourself to him completely today and say, God, I'm yours. And you can pray that prayer with me as well, a prayer of confession, a prayer of of turning back to God. You can start over today with him. And if you're going to do that, I want you to mark down your cards so I can pray for you. So would you join me as we pray together? Lord, the teaching that you give here. On first glance, it seems so extreme that, that I'll be honest, I want to discount you. But the more I realize, and the more we realize that the way we interact with other people, the relationships we have with each other, have an impact on our relationship with you, the more we see how necessary it is to have right relationships with other people. So I ask that your spirit would be moving right now in this room and that you would be showing each of us if there's someone that we need to be restored to, if there's someone that we need to forgive, if there's someone that we need to ask for forgiveness from, would you, would you bring them to our mind right now? Their name or their face, would you just bring that to our mind, Lord? And if God's bringing someone to your mind, I want you to take note of that. Just write that down on your teaching notes somewhere so you've got that. And then, God, would you give us the courage to ask the question, what does love require of me with that person? 
Would you help us to do that in every situation this week and beyond? Because Lord, ultimately, we do not want to miss out on one minute of the life that you have for us. As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, where, where you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, where his Holy Spirit has come and filled you in a way that you can't even fully understand, but the Bible says that, that God actually comes to dwell in us and his Spirit lives in us and gives us the power to do the things we are created to do. If you've never entered into a relationship with him, I'm going to pray a prayer and you can, you can pray that prayer with me. You can whisper it right where you are. Don't worry, people aren't going to think you're weird if you start whispering. They're just going to know that you're making a decision. So if if you're ready to commit your life to Christ for the first time, or maybe it's time for you to recommit yourself to him because you've walked away from him, you can just whisper this prayer right where you're sitting. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth, lived a perfect life, and that you died on a cross to somehow take the penalty for my sin. And Lord, I believe that you rose from the dead, breaking the power of death and destruction and sin so that I don't have to be a slave to that anymore. And today I say, yes, Lord. I say yes to this life that you're offering me. I say yes to you. And I ask you to come and fill me with your spirit and guide me every step. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.